The Old Testament reading for this, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the just decrees that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and just decrees so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the sixth chapter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And this is the word of the Lord. God. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. 
And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Context is ever so important, especially when reading the Bible. It's been said by many good theologians, and sadly proven by many bad ones, that you can make the Bible say anything you want by carefully picking and choosing a verse here and a verse there and ignoring the context of those verses. Slick-talking televangelists make millions, cherry-picking the verses that promise prosperity while leaving out the context that reminds you that such promises are not universal but being made to particular people at particular times. Even the Mormons sound almost convincing when they argue that Jesus is not really God by quoting a strangely translated version of John 1 and then a few parts of Revelation and nothing else. One of our seminary professors always warned us that when you see the ellipsis, those three dots that mean part of the quote has been removed, you must always ask yourself how much those three dots can change the meaning of the words quoted. And so this morning, as we hear Jesus calling the crowd to him and announcing, Hear me, all of you, and understand, we have to keep in mind that this did not happen in a vacuum. The lesson that Jesus delivers in our reading today did not come out of the blue and cannot be seen as a standalone event. What he teaches the crowd and us in this reading is directly, inextricably intertwined with the passage in Mark just beforehand, the one that we heard last week, which none of us remember. And so when we hear Jesus today proclaim, whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, we don't think about what we heard last week. And we respond to this proclamation by going, sweet, We hear the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we apply them to our lives with no thought of context or framework. We take that one sentence and we run with it, heedless of how it was intended, paying no attention at all to the surrounding text. Like a football player so excited to see open field in front of us, we take off at a dead run, not realizing that we are headed the wrong direction. And, just like that football player, unless we are stopped by our own team, we will definitely rack up some points against ourselves and feel pain, shame, and embarrassment once we realize what we've done. But our sinful nature doesn't care about that. Our sinful nature is not logical or rational. It doesn't like to think things through. It's like an animal, just only looking to gratify itself in the moment. And so it does not care about context. When we hear Jesus proclaim, 
There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Our sinful nature hears an open invitation to sin. We wrongly hear Jesus tell us that as Christians, we are being encouraged to try everything. To partake of all manner of sin and we won't be defiled in the process. We know that Jesus forgives our sins. And so if we cleverly take that little bit of scripture and combine it with this proclamation, all bada bing bada boom, you've got a Jesus who tells you that sin and debauchery is fine. You've built yourself a scripturally based license to throw, a God-approved 24-7 Vegas-style Mardi Gras, because nothing from outside can defile me. Jesus says that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him. And there are lots of things that we sinners like to put into ourselves. Drugs and alcohol to alter our conscience and make it so we don't have to think about the real world or deal with the fact that we're the cause of most of our problems. There's sex and pornography and dirty talk that we love to do and look at and listen to for a quick thrill. There's vulgar language that fills our movies and our music and our conversations. There's bad theology from so-called Christians. There's false theology from other religions. There's humanism and bad science from atheists in the world around us. There's hatred and anger and rage that we truly enjoy filling our lives with. There's greed and envy and lust that we love to nurture and feed. There's sin of every kind filling the world around us. And as sinners, we love to take it all in, to fill our bodies, our lives, ourselves with every bit of it, thinking that it's fun and it's enjoyable and that it makes us cool and it's going to make the world like us. And so when we hear just this short snippet of Scripture without any context, our sinful, wretched heart stands up and cheers, thinking that we have found the magic verse that makes it okay for us as Christians to embrace any and every kind of sin. Our wicked, sinful nature hoots and whistles and applauds when it hears Jesus say, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? We cheer, which is why we must never leave our theology in the hands of the old Adam within us. We must never base our beliefs on what the animalistic, instinct-driven, sin-craving, basic nature of ours wants to hear and believe, because it will always be wrong. It will always leave out the important parts it will always interpret everything in the broadest, most sin-enabling way possible. The old Adam doesn't have the patience or the desire to actually look at what Scripture has to say. It doesn't care about the context or the real meaning. It just wants to convince itself and everyone around us that it is totally justified in all of its sinful activities and that nothing it does is actually wrong. And that, dear Christians, always leads to disaster. Now, on its own, this verse might seem like it's an open license to sin from Jesus. 
But the context from the previous passage makes it abundantly clear that it is not. Jesus and his disciples have just been confronted by the Pharisees over the fact that some of the disciples aren't washing their hands properly before eating. And this is not the proto-CDC worried about germ transmission. These are the Pharisees insisting that the disciples aren't really righteous because they're not doing things in the ceremonially correct fashion. This is a group of self-righteous men looking down on Jesus because they are not obeying the rules that the Pharisees made up. Jesus is not talking about any and all sinful amusements not defiling us, but specifically about ceremonial laws that God did not institute in the first place. The Old Testament reading for today is from Deuteronomy. Over 60 books and about 1,500 years earlier than our gospel reading. And yet, since the Bible is entirely God's word, it still provides very important context for our gospel reading. Context that you may have noticed with an ellipsis in it that you may want to investigate. Now, Moses, as a prophet, speaking God's word, commands the people of Israel to obey God's law to keep his commandments, to neither add to them or take away from them, to teach them to their children and their children's children, to make the word of God the very center of everything that they do in their lives. That's the message God has for his people. It's almost as if he thinks his commandments are important for us because they are God gave us his law and his commandments not to make our lives miserable, but to protect our lives from the awful consequences of the sins that our hearts desire. He says that his commandments will be our wisdom and our understanding, that we will be blessed by them. God knows the pain and the addiction and the heartache and the disease that sex outside of marriage brings, And so he lovingly warns us, don't do it. God knows that drunkenness may seem fun, but leads us to do all sorts of sinful and harmful things. And so he lovingly tells us, thou shalt not. God knows that we are natural born coveters. And that our greed and our envy and our coveting quickly consume us. And so as a loving Heavenly Father, he says, don't fill your lives with that. God's commands to limit sin in our lives, they are not for his amusement. They are for our good. We are to teach it to our family. We are to live it out each and every day. We are to take it seriously and not look for ways to get around it. That, dear brothers and sisters, is called sanctification. Living a holy life according to God's word. And as Lutherans, we always get a little nervous when we talk about sanctification and obedience to God's word. Because so many other Christians have kind of missed the mark, cherry-picked a few verses again, and claimed that our obedience and sanctification save us, or at least prove that we are saved. That's not true. God doesn't mention anything in the Deuteronomy reading about salvation 
as he tells us to obey his word. All throughout the Bible, it is very clear that salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the guarantee of everlasting life, that's a gift won for us by Jesus' death and resurrection. Our sanctification, our obedience to God's word, that flows out of that gift. It does not cause or initiate it. And yet, it's important because our sanctification keeps us in the word. It protects us from a life of rampant sin where we set aside our forgiveness because the ways of the world and Satan just seem so much more fun. Paul, also giving us important context, tells us to put on the full armor of God, to be ready to battle sin and the devil at all times, not to lie down and embrace it and say, well, here we are, let's enjoy it while we can. We are to arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and to stand firm against the schemes and temptations of the devil and all those around us who would convince us that sin is not so bad and we're missing out on something great by not doing it. Jesus says that the food that we put into our bodies cannot make us unclean since it enters our stomachs and is expelled. But when we fill our lives with a steady diet of sin, that doesn't go into our stomachs, but into our hearts. It doesn't get pooed out like unceremonially clean food. It changes us. It stays with us. It grows in us. When we turn away from our sanctification, when we say that God's commandments don't matter anymore, that taints our hearts and it convinces us that sin is good. It leads us to follow along in the ways of the world. When we surround ourselves with sin, fill our eyes and our ears and our minds with the garbage of this world, we get desensitized to sin. We start to think that it's not all that bad, that it really doesn't matter. We've all experienced this. You've been around a group of friends who uses God's name in vain, and even though you know it's not right, you start to follow along. You watch a TV show that's filled with vulgarity and sniping and snapping at each other, and before long you find disrest in your family. You listen to music that pushes sex and drugs and rock and roll, and before too long you think to yourself, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Sin matters. Sin separates you from God. Sin prevents you from entering into heaven. Not just big sin and public sin, but any sin. In heaven, there is no sin at all. That's how serious sin is. That's how much God hates sin. And because of that, you as a sinner, you could not enter into heaven either. And so Jesus came to take your sin away. Not by rewriting the rules to make all sin okay. Not by giving you a little boost and a pep talk from time to time so that you can drive sin out of your lives. But he came to get you into heaven by suffering and dying in your place. By paying your penalty in full. As a sinner, you deserve only eternal hell and condemnation. But God looked on you in mercy and pity. And he sent his only begotten son into this world to save you. To take all of your sin upon himself. To set you free 
from sin, death, and the devil. He died on the cross to pay your sin. He rose again from the grave so that you would know that his payment was given to you. His sacrifice on your behalf crushed the devil's head, snatched you out of the fires of hell, and opened the gates of heaven to all repentant sinners who look to Jesus Christ in faith. That's what God's word tells us all throughout when we read the full context. That's what his loving commandments remind us of constantly. That's what they protect us from, the sin that would try to draw that message away from us. That's what we are called to dwell upon, to fill our lives with, to teach to our children and our children's children. And why would we want to fill our lives with anything else? Why would we want to pick and choose just a little bit of that word in order to make ourselves feel better about sinning? Why would we want to run around God's loving law in order to enslave ourselves to sin once more? Why would we want to gratify our sinful heart's desires? For out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. These are the things that lead to pain and destruction. The things that come naturally to us and the things that our sinful nature wants to embrace and fill our lives with. But from the cross of Jesus Christ, from his true word alone, comes forgiveness, life, and salvation. From the Holy Spirit, we receive strength and sanctification to resist these things, to turn away from them, to recognize how disastrous they really are. From our Heavenly Father, we receive his full armor with which we are equipped to withstand the constant onslaught of the devil and to resist his evil temptations to sin. And when we fail, which we know that we will, we have not lost. For Jesus Christ is our champion, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who has paid our penalty in full. The one who gives us what we so desperately need, what we ourselves cannot earn on our own. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.